You're listening to DraftKings Network. I don't know if you'll answer this. I'll try it though. Is there a, what's the most overrated stat that people use? The most overrated stat. I mean, yeah. I feel like everyone can agree that like plus minus isn't that useful. <laughs> So without any further ado, here is Too Many Men and Alexandra Mandricki. Well, thank you, Sam, um, and thank you to the entire CMU Stats community. We are kind of shocked that you give us the opportunity to be part of this amazing conference. Um, as mentioned, my name is Allison Lucan. Welcome to the Too Many Men podcast. I am joined, as always, by the woman who can create some of the most powerful, entertaining, and engaging visits in the world, tell stories with number and video, Shana Goldman. Shana, say hi. Hi. <laughs> and of course, we have the woman who can bring flair, humor, and tremendous insight all together in one story, Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you? I'm great. I'm just like constantly astounded at how Allison intros people. Like, <laughs> yep. Elite introductions. Well, I hope I, I don't know if I can do this next one justice. Um, this person probably doesn't need an introduction. She's one of the smartest people I've had the opportunity to know. One of the best people I've had the opportunity to know. She continues to astound me in who she is and what she does day in and day out, um, both in and out of the office. We are thrilled to welcome the director of hockey strategy and research, Alexandra Mandrecki. Alexandra, welcome. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that nice introduction. And I think we can go by Alex now. Okay. So what will make sense to this group is that um, whenever I write my name, I always introduce myself as Alexandra. Because working in hockey, if you say Alex, people will automatically assume you're a man. But I think we've established that we are not men. Um, nope. Awesome. Yes, we're so glad to have you. And we want to make sure the audience knows as well that the Q&A function is open and available to you. If you have questions, let us know. And we are going to try and be on our best behavior suitable of this conference <laughs> and our guest. And if we fall off track with some colorful language, um, if we, we if Shana <laughs> falls off track, um, we will be contributing $10 for every slip to the Black Girls Hockey Club, an organization um, seeking to increase diversity in the hockey community, an organization we hope that you check out and support. Um, but with that being said, let's get to the, the most valuable part of the show, and that's Alex. Um, Alex, we wanted to start at the beginning, and we all have so many questions for you. Um, but obviously, um, by the time you get to your position, you've been building to this for a while. Do you recall when it was in your life that you're like, you know, I'm kind of connected to this analytical style of thinking, or maybe thinking with mathematical or analytical support? And when you found that passion, was it easier for you to find outlets? Was it easier for you to find whether it was classes or clubs or whatever it was? How easy was it for you to feed that interest within yourself? Yeah, so I didn't really think of myself as a STEM sort of person until I took calculus and physics my senior year of high school. I think up until then I had these grand plans. I was going to be a history major and become Elle Woods, go to law school. Um, and then I just really was like, oh, I'm actually kind of good at, I mean, like calculus and physics and sort of math oriented thinking. 
And I was like, this is probably a more practical career path. And I don't know if that was true or not, but uh, yeah, so then I just sort of decided no history major, we're gonna pursue STEM and be sort of logical about next steps in the career. And then went to engineering school and it was all STEM from there. Have you found, I mean, we hear stories that sometimes in certain environments, young girls, young women aren't necessarily encouraged to feed that STEM side of yourself. Do you see that? Are there things that you would challenge us, whether we're in a formal capacity or, or otherwise, to, to do to, to grow the women and diversity overall community within STEM? Yeah, I think so. I remember in high school, I had a lot of guy friends and they were all like nerds and they took like computer classes, right? And all I knew was like, oh yeah, they have computer science at our high school. Like I didn't really know what that meant. And they're like, we just play computer games in this computer science class. And I was like, well, that sounds horrible because the only computer game that I like to play is like The Sims, right? I'm not <laughs> interested in battleships or alien fighting. I, I don't know. Uh, so I, I was never really drawn to, I would say like tech in high school. Although I would say that looking back on it, I probably um, was tech oriented growing up. Like, I don't know if you guys were in the same generation, but you had like a Neopets page and you like learn how to customize your Neopets page with like HTML and you know, you're like MySpace page, right? Um, and Zynga and all these other random, you know, sites that you really are picking up technical skills on and you don't really realize that it's happening. And that's what I'm encouraged. I think that there's a lot of those sorts of learning points along the way now for kids, right? There's all these programming for kids that sort of make it fun, even if you don't just want to play video games all day. Sarah, when did your STEM career start? <laughs> Never. I don't know. I was, I think I tried to log into my Neopets account a few years ago, like thinking maybe I'd remember something, but it didn't work out for me. <laughs> so Alex, you find this interest from a schooling perspective, then you happen upon hockey. Share that story with our audience for people who may not already know it. Um, probably the most cliche way that I hate talking about, um, a woman getting into sports, which is that I really liked a boy and the boy really liked hockey. And he was during a Buffalo Sabres playoff run, which you can do the math and figure out how long ago <laughs> that was. Uh, and he was just like, well, we, we're gonna watch the games or I'm gonna watch the game. If you're here, I really wanna concentrate so you can't talk <laughs> while I watch the game. <laughs> And so he was totally, he was like, you don't have to come, but I wanted to, cause I was, you know, pathetic and wanted him to like me. So I just started watching hockey and it was a good return on investment. Cause that person is now my husband who's downstairs. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I got into hockey. Um, really just by watching a lot of Buffalo Sabres for the first few years. And then um, gradually sort of getting into the rest of the league. And I would say a lot of my education um, in hockey came from just like reading media, whether that's being on Twitter or listening to podcasts. That was in the heyday of 
Merrick versus Wyshynski, if anyone um, listened to that. And I think just consuming things about the league not only gave me things to talk about with my then boyfriend, but also uh, made me more interested in the game as a whole. Something good came out of Sabres hockey. Shocking. Shana, what do you, what do you have on your mind? Oh, I mean, I was going to ask, because you're a nerd, do you actually watch the game? But you covered that. You started by watching. <laughs> so was there a player, you know, so many of us, when we start in getting into, like, analytics, we talk about a player that we needed to prove someone wrong about. Like, I know this player is actually good or actually bad, and I'm going to use every number to prove it. Was there one on the Sabres or league-wide that you had to prove this player is actually good or bad based on the numbers? So I will not say the name of the player, but this is actually how I got into <laughs> analytics and learning that hockey statistics was a thing because I had a favorite player on the Buffalo Sabres and my husband was like, no, he's not good. And it's like, well, I think that he is. And so that's when I just started digging for hockey data sources because I had been working with, I remembered in a statistics class I had taken in college, we had worked with like baseball data. And I was like, oh, well, there's probably hockey data somewhere. Um, and that's how I sort of stumbled upon the hockey analytics community. And it was all sort of history from there. I have tried to find, I, I did like a document um, of my like bullet points, but I have not been able to locate it. Oh my gosh, you have to find that, like frame it, like large, like in your office somewhere, totally. <laughs> Then you move to War on Ice, and you're working with Sam and Andrew Thomas. Um, what came out of that for you? And what I always find interesting, we always talk about what analytics proves right, like you were just saying, but are there things you have found, whether it's from that time or even your time now, that analytics aren't addressing properly or that analytics are getting wrong in the game right now? Yeah, well, first, getting to work with Sam and Andrew was crazy. Uh, I think that they are often too nice to me um, when they include me in some of the war on ice sort of, you know, folklore. But truly, it was Andrew and Sam's baby, and I'm happy that I got to learn from them. Uh, I would say that there's so much that analytics cannot cover. Working with you was crazy, Alex. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Uh, <laughs> too many men, too many men. One is too many, is that the rule now? No, no. <laughs> uh, there's so much that like analytics can't solve. And I would say like even, or yeah, can't currently explain. And that was even more so the truth back when we were working on War on Ice, right? I think that as you sort of gather more data and whether that's um, sort of like micro stats that's available in sort of the public community and then also data sets that teams have access to, you're able to better sort of answer questions that maybe a coach or a scout has. Um, I would say, you know, joining the wild in 2015, um, my answer used to always be, or not always, but would often be, well, I don't have the data to be able to answer that question. Um, and now that's becoming less and less prevalent, but we're still not there. I mean, we still can't explain everything um, at all. So um, what would you say is like the biggest difference going from, you went from working publicly with Warren Ice to working for a team privately. So 
where would you say is like the biggest difference or maybe something that the public sphere is missing that they don't realize happens when you switch over? I think it was really going from sort of looking at the league at this extremely macro level and then you get into these sort of micro decisions, right? Like, should we trade player X for, for player Y? And maybe you might just look at, you know, two charts about a player um, in the public space, but truly when you're trying to make that decision for your team, you're maybe filling a very specific spot or you're more worried about a contract situation that's coming up and you need to account for those sorts of factors. Um, so I would just say there's more like nuance and more um, like individual research on players compared to just sort of thinking about teams and players at a high level. Alex, are there areas where you feel like analytics can currently make the biggest impact within an organization or maybe areas they're completely overlooking? I think, you know, it's interesting when you look at however many signings happen over free agency or however many um, trades happen. And then you think about that from a team perspective and, you know, there really might be like two or three trades that are truly impacting your NHL roster um, over a given season. And when you think about the time that you spend thinking about those trades, right? Like, cause for every trade that happens, there's like a hundred that you have to think about that don't happen. Um, and that's where, you know, I think when you talk about sort of coaching analytics, that's something that like a game happens 82 plus times a year. Uh, and so certainly if you could impact game strategy, I think, you know, the on ice impact would be more observable in that realm. What was it like kind of starting to work for the wild and like how involved in the decisions were you on a day to day basis? I would say I was actually kind of surprised by how um, at least included in the decision-making process we were. Like, I think from the beginning, it was very much like hockey operations departments are really small. Um, and so everyone kind of knows everything that's going on. And so whenever there was like a player we were thinking about trading for or a free agent, you know, you're involved and you're sort of giving your opinion. Now, whether that opinion is you know, used or how it's weighted against maybe a scout's opinion. Certainly, I'm, you know, I think I'm glad that no one really listened to me like straight off the bat <laughs> walking in uh, to the wilds office, right? I think you have to earn your stripes in the same way that when you bring on a new scout to the organization, the GM, the director of scouting, they have to get a feel for like your player evaluation skills and everyone has biases. Alex, were there things that you, we talked about what you learned in school and kind of starting on that path, what did working in an organization teach you that you still needed to learn or skills you needed to strengthen? I think it's all about the way that you present data. Um, and, you know, you can have the best player metric in the world, but if it's not in front of people all the time, or if it's not presented in like a pretty format that people actually want to look at, it's useless <laughs> or not useless, but it just won't get adapted as strongly. And I think that's something that over my time with the wild, we really evolved into how we distributed information, how we were surfacing information to those people making decisions. Because at the end of the day, like no one wants to get a phone call or a text at like 1 a.m. Like, what do you think of player X, right? 
Like sometimes that that's going to happen no matter what. But if there's a place where someone knows that they can go to look up at least some information about player X, so maybe that can wait until, you know, six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning, I think everyone would be a little bit happier. So how you said communication is the most important thing. And um, so how do you work with coaches or general managers who are resistant? Like, how do you bridge the gap? Do you not like essentially not let them know that this is a data driven idea by speaking broadly saying like, do this with your offense, not you're doing X, Y, Z. Like, is there a way that you've learned to bridge that gap? I think it's so important to just build sort of the trust and the relationship from the beginning. So I think in general, when you, when you know eventually you're gonna have to convince someone of something that maybe they're going to oppose, it's really good to just, you know, have them respect your work or maybe give them an example. So if you're a coach, and you, I already know that you think that player X is performing poorly. Like maybe I'll do a project to demonstrate that. Like maybe I'll go ahead and answer one of your questions and give you an answer that you already know, but say, oh, the data says this too. And so then when I get to the point where maybe the data is in opposition for opinion, you at least have that baseline of, well, like what she said two months ago was right. So maybe I'm gonna um, humor this idea a little bit more. And it is, um, you know, I always joke whenever someone does something like pull the goalie early and then it ends up working. Like that is, <laughs> that's the biggest win uh, for any analyst on a team staff. Uh, you sort of always want these, those sorts of decisions to work out, even though we know that most of the time they don't work out. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you about that. You know, we, if we're working with data, we always hear sample size, get as much data, as much data as you can. How do you balance that with coaches and players who are playing 82 games, click, 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 super fast, the speed and the single game focus versus what you know you have to do to make a thorough analytical decision. Yeah, that is what's really tough because you as an analyst can be right about a player and over, a, you know, they can go 10, 20 games without maybe scoring a goal or, um, you know, having success that way. But it can also go the opposite way, right? <laughs> maybe they'll, you know, overachieve during that time period. And that's where, you know, I think everyone, even coaches, they have this, they understand like that players are going to go through ups and downs but it certainly is difficult uh, when things maybe aren't going your way to, you know, feel like you're getting traction. Do you feel like you mentioned the biggest wins? Do you feel like organizations get the patience they have to have with the kind of analysis people like you or people like your team will present that technically you're wrong. Technically, if they're looking at game to game more than you're right, do you get the, the leash and the consideration that you should for what the thought process behind it really is? I think people understand that, you know, you, you're not going to be maybe right all the time, or maybe it's going to take some time for a decision to pan out, but it's still at the end of the day, sometimes those decisions cost people their jobs. And so that's something that is hard to wrestle with, but, you know, I think a people in hockey, they certainly understand uncertainty when you look at like the amateur draft, right? It's, you're most likely going to be wrong <laughs> about a player when you're drafting them. And so, you know, those player timelines are pretty, um, 
you know, you're not going to see an immediate impact. You're going to have to sort of wait and find out. Um, awesome. Awesome. Sarah. <laughs> Sorry, we're kind of like rapid fire throwing everything at you, but um, do you feel like being in STEM and another male dominated field kind of prepared you for being in sports? I do. Yeah. Like there's not that big of a difference between being like in an engineering class and being maybe at a hockey scouting meeting in some ways. Although I will say my major at Georgia Tech, I think we were like 40% women, which was pretty high uh, relative to some others. But, you know, you certainly, I think I have always had like really thick skin and pretty confident person, which helps. Um, and you know, I feel like I am fortunate in that all the organizations that I've worked for, I have never felt really like anyone's written me off because I'm a woman. Like maybe they write me off because I'm an analytics nerd, but I don't think I was ever like at the wild, no one ever ignored me more than they ignored Andrew. So, <laughs> it was sort of like equal opportunity there. Is there anything, is there anything you'd tell yourself in that regard, kind of like going back to when you first started? Yeah, I think that at the beginning, when I got to the wild, I was very much like, oh, I don't really know hockey, right? Like I watch it a lot, but I don't really understand like micro strategy. Um, I don't have this encyclopedic knowledge of like players across the league. Um, I used to like sit in meetings and someone would bring up some name and I would play this game in my head like, is this a hockey player? Is this an actor that I don't know because I do not watch movies or TV? Is this an old musician? Like it could be any of the three. And it took me a while to one, be comfortable just saying like, who is that? <laughs> like, is, is this someone I should know? Um, and then also just yeah, being okay with that. Like, I think I, at the beginning was like, oh, I need to know every single player in the league, like the back of my hand. But by the end of it, it's like, well, my computer knows, right? Like <laughs> I have some understanding and I certainly, you get really familiar with the league, but they aren't paying me to be a scout. They're paying me to be an analyst and look at things a different way. And while you need to be able to have those conversations, you don't, I, that's not where I need to spend my time. Awesome. Now we have an Elvis, so I guess that knocks out all three. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, then you move from Minnesota to Seattle, which was already going to get a lot of attention because it was an expansion team. Um, people were watching what had happened in Vegas. Um, and I hope I asked this the right way. We've talked a little bit about this in the past, but someone like yourself, when you get a position like that, there can be a lot of, look at the woman in the role. Does that narrative, do you think that narrative is important or should we, are we focusing on that too much and making it more of a crutch when we tell stories of people from lower represented groups starting to find their footing in sport? I think it is important and for a while, I think I really shied away from it. And I still don't love like media attention, but I recognize that it's important because I know that, you know, there's probably someone who is younger, maybe watching this right now or listening to this right now that, you know, is thinking, oh, there's someone like me in this role. Uh, maybe that's something that I'll aspire to. 
and the more visible I think women can be sort of in these underrepresented um, roles and industries that's ultimately going to lead to sort of more women coming up behind us. But I, I do, like, I don't, I guess I don't hate it, but I also <laughs> would like, you know, hopefully once we actually start doing things as a team <laughs> that, you know, not only are you respected because you're a woman in this role, but also just because you're doing a good job. We often ask the question of a woman or a person of color who takes on a role like this, how did you do? What's your advice? I want to flip that on its head to you because you have been in a decision-making position. What should we be challenging decision-makers in organizations to be doing? It's, it shouldn't necessarily be on the underrepresented communities to fight their way in. What should we be challenging decision-makers to do to increase diversity across the board, gender, sexual orientation, race, all of those groups? So, I think what's great is that this has been a really big, I'd say, priority for the Kraken as we've gone about sort of hiring both on the hockey operations side, but then also on the business side. Um, I should have refreshed my uh, statistics in my head for our staff, but I believe we're like 45% um, female and 25% um, from underrepresented um, communities. And it's like, that's great. And for me, when we're going through sort of a job search, and I guess I can speak to, you know, it's not just me at the Kraken, we have sort of two analysts, we have a developer, we have a data engineer. And I really felt pressure hiring those roles for sure. Um, I think we got great analysts in Namita and Danny. And that was something, I guess it's great that Namita is also a woman, but she's also one of the most respected, I would say, analysts in uh, sports right now. So we're really fortunate that she joined us. Um, but yeah, I think it is on the hiring manager, whoever's going through the process to make sure that people are included. You know, I think candidly, I was semi, uh, for like the developer and data engineering role, it was a lot, you know, I would say it swayed a lot more towards men. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know the exact percentages, but it's uh, in that industry, that's just the way that it is right now. But hopefully in the future, like as that changes, um, there will be greater diversity. So, okay. uh, in addition to having diverse people in the organization, like how important was it to have people with varying experiences? Like Namita worked in, you know, football and Danny has experience with the NBA. Like, does that bring something else to hockey and help? you know, where hockey falls short from the other leagues? I think so. Yeah, you know, something that we're excited about in the NHL, knock on wood, is this puck and player tracking data coming on. And certainly in the NBA and NFL, uh, you know, both Amina and Danny have already worked with that data, which I think gives us an advantage um, it also just, you don't have to be like a super big hockey expert to work in hockey. You don't have to be a super big NFL expert to work in the NFL. Um, you know, I think having that sort of statistical background or the technical knowledge, and then, you know, it's up to me, it's up to Ron, it's up to others in our hockey operations department to sort of share the hockey knowledge that's necessary to create great results. 
What are some of the things that excite you the most when you think about this um, un unique opportunity you have in front of you in Seattle? Just getting to do everything from the ground up. Like we don't have to sort of think about, oh, well, this is the way we use, like we used to do pro scouting, or this is the way we used to do amateur scouting and getting to be involved in those conversations sort of from the beginning of how we're going to set things up. I'm also really excited from like a technology perspective. Um, I think, you know, the R&D group, like we were kind of the first ones here in the hockey operations <laughs> department. And so getting to sort of build out the processes um, and incorporate technology throughout the group, I think is really powerful uh, when you compare that to maybe if a developer just joins, you know, a team that already exists, they're going in and like wanting to change the way everything is done. But we have the opportunity to start from the beginning. Alex, you mentioned scouting there, and maybe this is my naivete, but I think, you know, when we hear the story of how scouts do their jobs, that might be the least data influenced, particularly because there isn't always data for players at lower levels of hockey. What are you doing, if anything, that you can share with us um, to work with scouts and how do you lend analytics to that process without having them feeling dismissed or disregarded for their expertise as well? Yeah. So I think having sat through my fair share of sort of amateur scouting meetings, even though there's not a whole lot of data maybe readily available to scouts, uh, they sure do talk about data a lot. You know, they, you know, I think the same thing goes with coaches or pro scouts, like you get your game sheet at the end of the game and the stats on the game sheet are the ones that you memorize and that's what you think is important. So for amateur scouting and pro scouting too, I think it's up to us to um, maybe put data in a different way. So, or maybe flag things that maybe are more important than another. So instead of maybe just looking at like, goals assist and points you're thinking about like points per game or can we you know get time on ice and have sort of these other factors that supplement the data that they're already thinking about and as you regularly surface that information it can become you know part of their workflow gotcha gotcha is there, i don't know if you'll answer this i'll try it though is there a, what's the most overrated stat that people use the most overrated stat I mean, yeah. I feel like everyone can agree that like plus minus isn't that useful. <laughs> but I, I think it's for a reason that isn't, I mean, it just doesn't make sense the way it's calculated, right? Like if it was truly a plus minus, maybe that tells you something. Um, but the fact that not all goals are created equal sort of in that calculation, like there's some leagues that you have sort of no choice but to use plus minus for some things. Um, but yeah, certainly at an NHL level, that would probably be my least favorite box score stat. How do you feel about goalie, like the publicly available goalie stats? Um, like, so just like regular save percentage or the more advanced? Yeah, like no, like the run of the mill ones. It's, I think that any like scout or fan would agree that not every shot is created equal. And so to sort of look at a flat save percentage while, you know, maybe giving you an accurate depiction of what happened during a game, it's not a great way to compare goalie to goalie. 
so I think, you know, the more advanced sort of metrics that you see in the public, whether that's an adjusted sort of save percentage for shot location or looking at, you know, like high danger um, save percentage, something like that will at least put goalies on a more level playing field to each other. Awesome. We do have a couple of questions from conference attendees. Um, Sam Gregory asked um, th that you had been talking about the micro focus when you're working within an organization um, compared to the public. But when you are a team without any players, <laughs> what are you focusing on? Are you looking more at researching and reporting current players, teams in the league? Is it just about building tools for the future? I know some of this is proprietary, but what can you share about what you're doing when you don't have a roster yet? Yeah, so we, I would say for the past year have been at that very macro, like high level, looking all across the league, uh, because we don't have a team, <laughs> uh, which is a very weird experience as an analyst. Uh, you're sort of used to like the day to day grind of the season and kind of this calendar of hockey. And uh, yeah, it's been weird sort of not having an allegiance. But yeah, so for the last year, it's been very high level. And then I think as we get closer and closer, like we were really excited for free agency this year because all of a sudden it feels a little bit more real. Like certainly players are going to move from team to team, but you can at least have a better picture of each team's sort of situation. Um, but I think as we sort of get further and further in, it will turn into, well, very specifically, do we like player X or player Y more? Like, where would this player fit? Um, so we'll get into those specific sort of questions. Awesome. And Danielle asked, are you able to use something like natural language processing to incorporate qualitative scouting reports into your analysis? So this is one of my favorite ways to endear amateur scouts to me, which is I like to say that almost every model that you can build on the amateur scouting side is improved by using the actual data from amateur scouts. And so whether that's through their ratings or through, you know, looking at the text of their reports, um, it does help because there's a lot, especially at those lower levels, that the numbers just do not currently capture. Who are you guys taking from the Canes for the expansion draft? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, with the expansion draft, kind of like, what challenges does that present? It's a really big jigsaw puzzle. Um, there's so many sort of moving parts for every team and then we sort of have to put them all together. And so something that as a hockey operations group, we've been prioritizing this year is even though we know that all the players are gonna change, all the protection lists are gonna change, we're just practicing going through the process because you want to be used to seeing a protection list, seeing which players are available and trying to construct a team that really fits together because it's not really good enough. It's like, you can't just go through every team and pick who you think is the best player. Like maybe you end up with way too many forwards or way too many defensemen or way too many goalies. Um, and so just practicing, 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 sort of going through the process, I think has been the biggest way that we are preparing. So does, I don't know if you can answer, but, um... Does Vegas' success in year one compared to other expansion teams in years past, you know, like everyone expects an expansion team to come in and suck. Um, I think, Chris. 
stop myself. Um, do, does their success in year one like change anything about your strategy or influence anything at all, or you're just continuing with your strategy as it was? It's yeah, it's certainly, you know, Vegas did such a phenomenal job with their initial success and now sort of sustain that. And I would say the pressure is on from our fans in particular. It's something that, you know, I think really energized the Kraken fans in the market. Uh, you know, we're going to be as good as Vegas, right? And as an analyst, you're just like, yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Um, it, yeah, I would say it's added pressure, but I don't know that it's changed sort of the master plan. So, so many talk about analytics as a tool to help find, you know, market inefficiencies and whatnot. So like, what do you think, um, what kind of edge does Seattle making their analytics department such a building block of their front office? Like what edge does it give your team versus, you know, the rest in the league? I hope that, you know, it makes us so we have more time to focus on different things. I think that when you're sort of the only analyst, you maybe have to prioritize different sorts of groups and different sorts of processes. But I think with the size of our group, we're going to be able to, you know, holistically work with everyone. Uh, you know, the downside of most teams in the league, having an analyst on staff or, you know, certainly and you respect all these people, right? If we're doing something with the Penguins, I'm going to assume that Sam is on the other side of the deal, also giving good advice to his general manager. Uh, and so that, you know, makes it fun. <laughs> Speaking of that, Alex, you know, we, all of us here play with numbers and we get excited over, well, I get excited over dorky things like a successful lollipop chart or something, but what's fun in your job right now? What, what, what brings joy or like, is just fun to do? I think every day we're sort of making information visible to different sorts of groups and you know we're just we, we're on an upward trajectory just of what our group is producing from the analyst to the developer to the data engineering side and so it just feels like every day we have like something new to share and that's really really fun uh, to be able to you know just constantly be creating new things Awesome. Uh, Matthew, who's here in attendance, wants to know, um, there was a talk yesterday about measuring player chemistry. How do you think about that when preparing for expansion draft analysis? Yeah, it's a great, I mean, as I sort of alluded to earlier, like you can't just pick the best player from each team. You have to think about sort of how the roster as a whole is going to um, behave together. And so that's certainly something that we are, we do recognize is important and we'll be focusing on as we construct the Kraken. Can you measure it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> How? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, Be Benjamin Robinson would like to know, and, and there's a nuance here that I think might allow you to answer it. If you could pick any former NHL player to be on the Kraken, who would it be and why? And he also offers Go Kraken. Um, Ron Francis. <laughs> this is why she's a professional. Shayna, did you have one last question for Alex? Yeah. Um, so how much is it going to influence your decision when you pick a coach about their background in analytics? If you can answer this, like, does it matter if they care about analytics or anything of that or it doesn't matter because you have such a strong staff that you can communicate it in whichever way to make it in their language. 
I mean, my guess is that we've sort of created this culture surrounding at least being accepting of data and technology. So whoever we hire as a coach, you know, I certainly hope will be, uh, you know, wanting to have that sort of collaborative environment there. Awesome. We have one, one more here from Claire. Um, and you hinted at this a little bit, but I'll ask it specifically in, in juxtaposing the two. Does working with an organization that is starting from scratch feel different or have a different environment than working for a longer established organization? Yeah, it's, it's definitely way different just because you kind of get to make it up as you go. Um, you know, being one of the first employees has probably allowed me to have my hands in more things than I would at any other organization. And, you know, hopefully that's for the better. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Alex, we um, are just humbled and honored that you would spend this time talking to us here at Too Many Men. We can't thank you enough for your time. Usually um, when we have a guest, we ask them to say where um, people can find their work, but we can't find your work right now. I'll twist this on you a little bit. Where would you recommend that people interested in getting more into hockey analytics go, be it for data or reading or research? What are some go-to references you would offer our audience today? I think reading hockey graphs is a great sort of just collection of different articles and viewpoints. I always direct like prospective analysts to Money Puck, who has the listing of every shot in the league, I think going back to 2007 with a whole bunch of data uh, that will take away some of the data cleaning pain of uh, many analysts. But, and I will say before we close, um, Shana did such a good job not cursing that I feel kind of bad for the Black Girl Hockey Club that we didn't get to donate money. So I'll be throwing in $50 to congratulate Shana uh, for not cursing. It was, I, it, it was hard work. I even I had a sign, Shana. I even oh had a sign. Oh my God. I had to, to think. Go. It's this crazy thing when you think before you speak instead of blurting Ooh, out knew? the first thing on your mind. Well, we and Alex, we share your empathy. So we too at Too Many Men are planning to make, we're going to donate um, as well. We'll match your donation to Black Girl Hockey Club. And we encourage all of you to check that out. There are many ways to get involved that don't cost a dime. Um, Alex, again, thank you so much. Um, we like, would like to thank uh, Carnegie Mellon. We love you guys. Thank you so much for letting us be part of this tremendous event that happens every year. If you're interested in following along with Too Many Men, you can follow us on Twitter at two underscore much underscore man. We have merch that you can buy. Um, you can find us on the web at toomanymenpod.com. And again, just thank you, Alex, so much. Thank you to everyone who joined in. Sarah, Shana, did I miss anything? You always have it covered. Right? I'm We're just, just following your lead. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys.